Welcome to another episode of Growing Together, a podcast powered by the community of Arizona Sustainable Apparel Association, where we talk to local sustainable fashion businesses in Arizona about their brand story, passion for sustainability, and how we can all become more responsible stewards of the earth through our clothing choices. I'm your host, Madeline Dolgen. Now on to the show. Welcome to another episode of Growing Together, a podcast powered by Arizona Sustainable Apparel Association. Today, I'm joined by fellow board member, Vice President Ileana, and we're thrilled to have Laura Tanzer here as our guest to share more about her brand, Laura Tanzer Designs, and to learn what sustainable fashion means to you. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Thank you for having me. I'm really delighted to be here. We're so excited to have you as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, now, Miss Laura, uh, we always try to start off, you know, by understanding and kind of getting to know you a little bit better, and and hopefully our our listeners um, can get to know you better as well. So, uh, one of our questions that we would like to start off with is, if you could be any article of clothing, what would you be, and why? <laughs> hmm. Any article of clothing, um, a frumento. And a frumento is a garment that I make from remnants. Okay. And they're fun and it's wearable art. And they're just, they're fun and they're cool. And you put one on and you just feel great. Well, that's a good, that would be a good piece of clothing that uh, I think a lot of people, it's even a fun word, to be honest. <laughs> yes. Um, it's an Italian word and it translates to remnant, but it just sounds sexier in Italian than it does in English. So there we go. I'm wearing a remnant. Well, I'm not wearing one now, but I would be that remnant. I would be that fermento. Awesome. I love that. And I love being able to take, uh, you know, trash and something that's left over and then turn it into something artistic. It's such a beautiful design aesthetic. And and I know that as we continue to talk today, we're going to learn a bit more about how that fits into your zero waste um, practices. So if you haven't yet heard of a frumento, um, you'll get to hear more and can also see more on Laura's website. So for our next question, you're your business is really built around the idea of sustainability. So I'd love to hear more. What was the moment in your life that led you to care more about sustainability? I don't think there was just one uh, moment. I'd say there were a series of things um, throughout my life. Um, I grew up in an environment, um, in a family that repaired things and kept things and didn't um, indiscriminately buy lots of things. I mean, I, I, I was born into people who have this aesthetic of, you know, you could call it sustainability, you could call it minimalism, you could call it thrift, whatever you want to call it. Um, there's just sort of this stewardship, this, um, this ethos of caring for people and planet and material things. Um, and also um, a certain um, pride of craftsmanship. Um, there's, there are a lot of crafts, craftsmen artisans in my family. Um, and so as an example, um, I'll say my grandmother who taught me to sew when I was very, very young, um, she was always remaking things. 
so she would have a dress or a jacket or, you know, she had jumpsuits, you know, a grandmother who wore jumpsuits. I mean, she was pretty cool. Um, she was also very beautiful and, um, and very vivacious. And so she was just constantly recreating her wardrobe with the things that she had. So she'd take something apart and redo whatever. She'd take two or three things apart and redo them and remake things and she'd have new. She didn't have to go out and buy new. And she, so I learned a lot from that. Your grandmother sounds like a wonderful inspiration and it, it really seems like sustainability has been in your bones um, from the beginning. So I'm, I'm not surprised to see you carrying it through into your business. And uh, Miss Laura, that actually brings up like an uh, interesting question. So um, you talk about how, you know, it never really started in your family. It just was always there in your family. So what actually caused sustainability to become important and and actually build into a brand? Really, I'd say I would, I would go back to when I was in business school at NYU. Um, I, would, I went to the Stern School of Business and I did my bachelor's and my MBA sort of all back to back in five years, I just sort of like crammed through it. At the same time that I was studying business, I was also minoring in environmental management. And, you know, it was the 90s and there was a lot of what I would call, what well, people called it back then green marketing, which was basically big companies saying, oh yeah, you know, we're green and we do this and we do that, but there was no substance. And it really bothered me. Well, whenever there's no substance, it bothers me. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's, you know, marketing or business or human behavior in general, when there's no substance, I get really bothered. So this was something that I wanted to learn more about. And as I learned more, I just became more and more convinced that this was going to be part of my path. And I didn't know at the time how it was going to manifest. I just knew while I was in school that I was going to do this. And I I had an internship with one of the big six accounting firms at the time, and, and it was with their environmental management group, and I learned so much. I worked on water issues, I worked on energy issues, and I just, I kept learning more and more about, like, the fundamental things that you need to know, and all of that, just, you know, how over time things, like, plant themselves in your brain, and you, you think about them, and, and it just, like, I was cogitating. And I was just letting it all just sort of soak in and letting all the information soak in. And I knew that eventually somehow it was just going to lead me to the right path. And I just didn't know at the time where it was going to take me. Um, I knew once I, my advisor said, okay, you should go for PhD. He wanted me to go for economics. I'm like, no way, <laughs> not happening. Too dry, boring. <laughs> well, it's not totally boring, but that's another story. Um, so I came out here to Arizona to, to do a PhD in natural resources. That's how much the trajectory took me. So I'm, I'm an opportunist. I follow whatever the trajectory, wherever my trajectory takes me, wherever my nose takes me, wherever the signals lie, I'm going to follow that path. And, and it's winding and most people's paths are winding. So here I am. I mean, I came out here to study natural resources for PhD and I ended up teaching sustainable business practice at the University of Arizona. And, and that's when things started to really 
get big. And that's when I realized, wait a minute, I need to get back to my creative roots. I need to couple all of this together. And the whole idea was put the artistic knowledge, um, the garment center knowledge from when I worked in the garment center in New York and the business school knowledge and the natural resource knowledge, put all of it together and create something. And so here we go, Laura Tanzer. Wow. So it sounds like fashion has really become your outlet for being artistic and creative, but also combining those really important interests about sustainability and the environment and natural resources. Um, I'm curious if if you could share, you know, for people who don't know as much about natural resources, in what ways does fashion, you know, use up or relate to (laughs) natural resources in that way? So this is, this was a big deal for for me to make this decision to go back into the fashion industry because the fashion industry is one of the filthiest industries on the planet. Um, it's like third or fourth or fifth behind, you know, automobiles and big oil and, um, and heavy industry metals and things like that. Um, mining, mining is just, Oh my God, the things it does to the planet, not good. So fashion uses up resources. Um, fashion uses a lot of water. Fashion uses a lot of energy. Fashion also uh, creates a lot of really toxic waste because especially modern fashion, um, and by modern fashion, I mean pretty much anything from the 1980s till now, because prior to the 1980s, things were a little bit simpler in the fashion industry. Um, but the, the last you know, 30 years, um, 35, 40 years, we've seen a lot of um, technology and it hasn't always been thought through. And so um, companies come up with new ways to make textile. They come up with um, new um, chemical finishes for textiles. These are not safe things. These are toxic. The chemicals that are used, they're pro- you know, there's something like seven or 8,000 different chemicals that are being used on fabrics. And none of them are healthy for any of us to put against our bodies. And this bothers me. There was n- almost no thought put into the side effects of using these chemicals on our clothing. There is very little thought put into the use of um, um, petroleum-based synthetic fibers for fabrics that we wear on our bodies. And I'm talking everybody, you know, adults and children. And so these are things that are just there. We can't support this over the long term. We just, we can't, there's nothing sustainable about any of that. And so all of that bothers me. And so I think to myself, what can I do that's a little bit different that helps the planet, helps the people and allows me to channel my creativity all at the same time. And so that's how I decided to go the path that I, on now, which is, um, you know, pretty much from sourcing through waste stream, being as as sustainable as I possibly can. And I'm not perfect, but, and I'm learning all the time on how to do it better. So the big things for, for the fashion industry are, are utilizing natural resources and not stewarding those resources, um, and creating really bad waste, really not, not good stuff. And and, and of course, the third thing is slave labor, slave labor, basically. Um, people, mostly in the Asias, who are paid really just paltry wages when they get paid, 
who are working in horrendous conditions, um, this is unconscionable. We shouldn't be doing this. Um, so, and my way to combat that is to make everything in the U.S. And if I if I can hire workers to who have the knowledge, great. And if I need to train people, I will train them. But um, you know, they get paid a living wage, <laughs> and so you know that these are the things that I'm doing. Small scale, totally small scale. I can't compete with you know, the JCPenney's and the Walmart's and, you know, all these, these, I can't compete with the big brand name designers um, who are all offshoring to the Asia's and, you know, declaring, oh, well, I have no say, you know, in what the contractors are doing. Well, yes, you do. Everybody does. You can say, I'm not going to work with you unless their working conditions are appropriate. You can say, I'm not going to buy your textiles unless you stop using these toxic chemicals. You know, these brands have a lot of clout and they say that they don't and it's not believable. So small brands like myself, and there are a few others around the country and around the world, we're all just making little teeny inroads <laughs> and we're doing what we can um, and we gain followers um, and it's not huge, but we're doing what we can. I really do hope that, you know, all of the small designers out there finding ways to address, as you shared, so many of the different sustainability and human rights issues, you know, even though you're, you're small and the other brands are small, I, I really believe that there will be this movement where small will, will sort of take over, at least I'm hoping, and um, sort of break down the, the, the big ones in power, you know, more and more every day I, I do hear consumers learning about the issues and realizing that their consumption choices can actually make a difference. It, it feels slow, um, it does, but I I feel hopeful and just to meet you know people like you who are being so intentional and every day treating your work as a learning experience too you know recognizing that that you're not perfect and you can always change i mean that certainly gives me me hope as well uh, so i'd love to hear a little more about um your brand, you have these really beautiful kind of unique silhouettes um, in how you design and, and some nature images. So could you tell us more about kind of what inspires your designs? Ah, uh, well, gosh, every collection has a different inspiration. Um, sometimes it's just a mood. Sometimes it's a feeling. Sometimes it's a textile, a texture. Um, it could be uh, a ribbon. I mean, it changes with every collection. Sometimes I have intent. Sometimes I just draw a whole bunch of designs that have a similar kind of silhouette. And I think, oh, well, you know, here's, uh, you know, this collection. Now, how am I going to interpret it? Um, so as with any artist, um, your inspiration comes from myriad in different places. I would say that overall, my aesthetic is modern. Um, architectural, uh, you know, I've always got jazz going in the background, not today, of course, but um, so I have that sort of, you know, sophisticated, syncopated, you know, let's, let's boogie kind of feeling <laughs> um, and fun. I, my feeling is let's not be so serious about ourselves. Let's have some fun. Um, 
And so, you know, there are a lot of people who are like, oh, well, you know, sustainable fashion, you know, it's really serious. And I'm like, it, nothing has to be that serious. Clothing does not have to be that serious. Clothing can be you expressing who you are. So yeah, if you want to be serious and, you know, wear the pinstripe suit and the tie and all of that, go for it. You know, that's who you are, express yourself. If you want to express yourself that way and then like have pink socks, love it, right? Um, and so my expression is more sculptural, architectural, um, and, and really those kinds of lines. And that's what you see in, in my collections overall are the, the modern sculptural architectural kinds of lines. Um, and I engineer the clothes. Um, so I'm always thinking of proportion, vertical proportion, horizontal proportion, diagonal proportion. I'm always thinking in terms of sculpture, in, in terms of what does this garment look like on a body, not just on a hanger, and what does it look like in 3D as a person moves and walks and sits and um, turns around, reaches for something. Wh what does that garment do? How does that garment move with the body? And so there's a lot of that too. So I actually love what you just said that, you know, fashion doesn't have to be serious, you know? It, it, it could be just whatever you feel like, however you feel like, you know, that's such a great piece. You know, it goes into a whole other, you know, body aspect as well for that. Um, but now you're talking about more of like an architectural type of design where you're seeing things and how they'll be on the body. Um, it also goes into, you know, the materials that you use. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Like what kind of materials go into your garments? So this is a combination of my aesthetic and my ethos. Right, so to be sustainable, um, I'm not using any kind of petroleum-based fibers. I'm using natural fibers, only natural fibers, and I source uh, what is called dead stock, which is basically leftovers from mills, leftovers from other design houses, and I work with brokers um, in the old days, not the old days, in the 80s, whatever, they were called jobbers, um, which is, somehow they've elevated that the term to brokers which i think is very interesting but it's the same process where they are buying and you know dead stock from from you know whoever was using it before and they've got warehouses and they just pile this stuff in their warehouses and i come in and i you know i make an appointment or don't and i come in and they're like hey you know we schmooze for a while and they give me some scissors and i get to go and take little swatches from whatever i want and then I bring it back and then we, you know, we staple it to paper and we mark it and, you know, they give me information and I write down the information. And then I, from there, this is part of my process. I figure out what I want to use. I know textiles really well. I teach about textiles. So when I'm looking for textiles, I'm always looking for interesting color combinations, interesting texture, text textures, textures. Um, I'm always looking for um, something that either sparks a new collection or fits into a con concept that I've already figured out. And that's kind of how I work. It's, it's this um, back and forth or, you know, you could, it's an iteration. It's an iterative process, really. Um, and that's, you can call that back and forth as well. You know, because 
sometimes I'll have an idea in mind and then I'll come across a, uh, a fabric that is really cool. And, I, and I'm thinking to myself, well, how does this fit into this idea? But maybe it's gonna change the idea a little bit. And so again, iterative process, keep, just keep going. Um, so that's how it, it starts. And then as I'm creating the silhouettes, and again, my silhouettes typically start with my sketches. I'll typically, you know, and again, iterative process. I'm, I'm sketching, I'm looking for the right fabrics. I'm looking for a color scheme. I'm looking for a mood. It's all iterative. And then I have to, um, I typically drape on the mannequin. And I like to do that because um, I like to see the three dimensional as I was talking about bodies before. So my preferred way of taking it from, you know, mood and sketch and texture is to drape on the mannequin and I create, uh, I use muslin, M-U-S-L-I-N, not the religion, <laughs> the fabric. People mix them up all the time. Um, so I use muslin, I drape, I get the right proportions. Then I take that and I put it into a flat pattern and I use the flat pattern to cut out what I'm gonna do and I'd make my first prototype. And, so, and a lot of times I'm thinking as well about engineering, how am I going to put this together, right? And that's just as critical as coming up with the, you know, the pretty sketch. It's just as critical as coming up with the right fabric. Um, so engineering it is um, really, that's the part where you either have a garment that fits and wears and drapes and moves with the body or you don't. It's kind of black and white on that one. And that's where engineering is really critical and that's why I like to call myself a clothing engineer rather than a fashion designer. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to start calling you a fashion engineer. I mean, I think that's, that's such an interesting way to look at it about the, you know, the body is kind of the model and then they are designing something and <clears throat> encasing around it. I, that's a very new perspective for me to think about. And I, I think it's really neat and hearing more about your iterative process too. Um, so I'm curious as you're iterating, how do you know when it's right? Ah, uh, I don't know. You know, that's a really good question. I just do. I, yeah, you know, all the everything comes together. You just do. I mean, how do you know when anything's right? It's like a feeling, an instinct, right? And you just know well, you come to the end. Yeah, and you can see it. I mean, you. It, it, this is a visual medium, so you can actually see it. Um, and yeah, you know, I'll, I'll try it on. I'll have. Anybody who's working with me that day, try it on and we'll, you know, we'll just, we'll talk about it. We'll move with it. And we just know. Yeah. I think that's also something that's really nice about when you're the designer and you're doing everything locally versus if you were producing things overseas is you can have that iterative process and you as the designer can kind of can take the control over it and, and you know, figure out when it doesn't work and what do you need to change and get to the point where it's something really incredible. And so having that manufacturing so close to your actual design, I, I think, you know, allows for this type of creation. Yeah, I agree. So um, another thing that I would like to know, um, how do you make sure that your brand stays zero waste or as close as possible to that? Ah, okay. So um, 
Well, as I said, I when I source, I source mainly dead stock. Um, or I work with mills who only make to order and they don't make excess. So that's right there, minimizes, minimizing the waste stream. Um, and then um, when I'm um, cutting out fabric and you know making whatever cool new designs I'm making, whenever you're cutting out fabric, you have those remnant pieces that are left over that are like you know the negative space, right? Um, those get um, sorted and put into bins, and you know all my you should see the bins. <laughs> I've got bins for everything, and they're waiting to become either a frammento. So I use the larger pieces to drape a frammento. Um, I'll use smaller pieces to create um, fun little um, accessories, which could also be called a frammento if you wanted to. Um, and then whatever I, I can't use, whatever is just, you know, out and I just, you know, it's too small or so I'm, I'm using it up. I save all of those extra scraps in like big paper bags and I donate those to um, the local schools for art, for the kids to do whatever they want to do with them. And it, it you know, it's gonna be ribbons, it's gonna be fabric, it's gonna be, you know, whatever gets shoved into that bag, they get to do whatever they want with it. So I have nothing going to landfill except for, you know, my, my workers like candy wrappers and things. <laughs> That's pretty much it. So it takes about a month. You know, the, like those little plastic bags you get the, at the grocery store mm -hmm. for yes. your groceries, right? It takes about a month to fill one of those. Wow. That's my waste. That's it. Done. Wow. That's, that's a that's impressive. This is, you know, this is a big part of my focus is all along the line from sourcing through making through, you know, what ends up going out there. What, what can we find use for and, and minimize that waste stream? And I'm, and I'm pretty sure that 90% of the people out there haven't thought of that in their own behaviors, but you, we can all do it in some way. We, we can, we just can't. From not getting the plastic bags from the grocery and using you know reusable bags, cloth bags, or whatever you have. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, we can all do something. And I, you know, I, I apply these processes to my, my personal life as well. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's an important tip for sustainability in general is doing everything with the end in mind, right? It, it's so easy to think, well, something's right here, I'm just gonna use it, but especially like a plastic bag, but if you don't think about the end goal, it's, it's gonna have that unintended consequence. And so thinking about it kind of from, from the beginning, or at least as you are doing, being very intentional about whatever is left over, you know, we can make something of that. It doesn't yeah. have to just go into, go into the landfill. Um, for me, giving myself a reminder of what landfills look like every once in a while is enough of a reminder to um, make sure that I'm making more intentional choices. I mean, it's crazy. We don't see these landfills in our everyday life, but when you realize where everything's actually going, 
oh gosh, it, it, it's just so, so horrifying. And so I try to always keep that, you know, image in my mind. And then it, it encourages, like you said, some more creativity. You've been able to create these new kinds of little things out of the remnants or even whole new designs. Um, and so uh, I love that, you know, you don't have to just throw it away. You can actually find a use for it. So I think that's a lot of fun. Now, another uh, question for you, Miss Laura. Um, I want to know more from like the business side or the educational side. Um, you know, for those that are looking to either start up their own sustainable brand or from those looking to, you know, just kind of get more education in it. Did you find that, you know, your background with your MBA or your PhD, that those things that are were helpful for starting your brand? Yes. Um, they were actually. Um, before I went into business school, I really knew nothing about business. I mean, I knew how to balance my checkbook and you know have a, a checking account and a savings account, and that was pretty much it. Because I was, you know, focused on being artistic, and I wasn't really focused on the business part. But when I was working for other people in the garment center in New York, I realized that I needed some of that knowledge, and that's what propelled me to go back to school and, and, um, and to get that knowledge. And the, the whole thing with the PhD in natural resources, um, that was just like a continuation of that educational experience. I, the more I learned when I was, you know, did the minor in environmental management, when I had the internship with, you know, the, one of the big six accounting firms. And it was just like, I realized it was the tip of the iceberg. I mean, I was learning about environmental management from a, a big organizational, um, you know, sort of uh, uh, business management, accounting management perspective, but I wasn't, and, and because I am who I am, I was also reading up a lot on water issues and energy issues. And I realized, you know, I really needed to know foundational information if I was going to go forward on this really cool path. So yeah, the PhD was that. It was for me to learn about natural resources and, and watersheds and ecosystems and about carrying capacity and like whatever I could learn. Um, yeah, love it. It's just like amazing stuff. And yes, it helps me to be grounded in that knowledge so that the kinds of decisions that I make going forward um, are made from that grounded knowledge. Um, and, and that to me, again, it goes back to what I said much earlier about, you know, substance. Um, if something's not substantial, I'm really bothered. Um, so yeah. And I can teach it. You know, I can, you know, people, I take interns all the time. Um, I'm creating some courses. I'm trying to figure out how to get them online, <laughs> um, but I can teach this stuff. And I've been teaching, you know, at the University of Arizona. Um, so hopefully I'll teach some more courses there. Um, but I want to teach it to people who don't want to go to university. I want to just teach it to people who just want to learn what they want to learn. And so I'm trying to, I'm formulating some courses and then I got to figure out how to put them online and all that stuff. So. Sounds like you have a journey ahead of you. Yeah. <laughs>
That's amazing that you're starting those courses and I'm definitely going to look out for them myself. Um, I think you're reminding us that fashion is actually part of the climate change uh, conversation. And we don't always think about that, that the, the one garment that we're buying, this one tiny item can actually have much larger implications for our planet. Um, and so really to be a sustainable fashion professional, I think is also to be a climate change advocate. You're, they're sort of um, one 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 in the same you know they're they're really interconnected um and you know we need we need to need to remember those kind of grander um implications so i appreciate all that you've shared so far um we have some listeners who you know are thinking about maybe starting their own um brand so i'm curious if you could share with us a bit about you know something that's maybe been challenging um when it comes to launching your brand and kind of how you dealt with that I'd say the biggest challenge is being a small maker um, because you you get dismissed a lot in terms of, well, you know, you can't meet whatever minimums uh, um, a, a supplier might require. Um, but there are so many ways to get around that as well if you just are persistent. I think one of the biggest things is you just have to keep going. <laughs> And if one place says no, or if, you know, you're going to be hiring contractors and somebody says, well, you know, I can't do X, but I can do Y and you want them to do X and not Y, then you find another contractor who will say yes. There's so many ways that you can just keep going, but you do have to have solid foundation, a solid vision about where you want to head. Um, it doesn't have to be narrow, but you just gotta, you have to know your path. Um, and if, you, and if you, if you're unsure about your path, then you need to step back and think about it. So that's my advice. I love that. Was there anything that surprised you about the experience of launching your brand or something you didn't expect? Oh, lots of surprises. I can't yeah. think of, you know, one, but there's always surprises. I mean, even now there's always surprises. So, you know. But that's good. I mean, it keeps you on your toes. All right. So now uh, that we are kind of wrapping up, um, we're going to get into more about our customers, right? And so, or future members of both you and and, and AZSAA. Um, so what is some advice or reasons that you would ask your, your members to go and shop sustainably? You have to think about people you have to think about the planet. Um, you have to think about your place, right? People, place, planet. Uh, there's so many things that you can talk about. I mean, do you want to feel responsible for buying something that was made by somebody who's basically enslaved labor? How do you feel about that? I mean, people need to think about that, right? Do you want to wear clothing that might have toxic chemicals in it that could affect your health or your children's health or your family members? Do you really want to buy clothing that, you know, has that attached to it? Do you want to buy clothing that is made from petroleum products that whenever you wash it, every single time you wash it, these tiny little microbeads get taken off of that and go into the waterways and go into the sewerways and get into the oceans and get into the rivers and the lakes? Do you really want to you know, be responsible for that. So yeah, these are heavy duty things. 
but we need to think about these. We need to be conscious about these things and don't take my word for it. Go out there and do some research and learn about it. Um, and it's all, as you mentioned earlier, climate change is the big picture and all of these little things contribute to climate change, everything. Our behavior for the last 200 years has contributed to climate change and we need to make changes. And so I'm very serious about that. I may not be serious about many things, but I'm very serious about that. Those are the important questions. And if we want a healthy and safe future, you know, we, we need to start thinking about them now and it comes down to even our, our fashion choices. So Laura, you have given us so much wonderful insight and advice, and, and I've really learned so much from you. So share with our audience, how can people find you if they wanna see your designs, purchase from you? Um, and also how can we find out uh, those awesome courses you're gonna be starting? Okay, so my, my main website is just lauratanzerdesigns.com. You can find, uh, everything there, well, not everything, but a lot of things, um, including the, the Framento garments. Um, I'm on Facebook, um, so you can find me on Facebook, just Laura Tanzer, uh, and Laura Tanzer Designs is my business page on Facebook. Uh, I'm on Instagram. I think I'm on Pinterest, although I haven't touched it in a really long time. Um, and I don't do Twitter. I haven't done Twitter for four years. I might go back on. And my new venture with the, the, the courses, um, I call it Learn, Craft, Sew. And I am launching that website, learncraftsew.com, hopefully by the end of this week, this coming week. Uh, oh, hopefully by you know the middle or towards the end of January. I don't know when this is gonna air, so. So learncraftso.com, and that also is on Facebook. That's already launched on Facebook, and it's also already launched on Instagram. Just learncraftso, just smush all those words together, and you've got it. And um, I'll be putting up um, tutorials, um, and I'll be putting up uh, kits that people can buy to just, you know, learn different things. Just one more question for you. So if, if anyone wanted to uh, go out and buy some designs, do you do anything in person as well? And if so, how would they uh, get a hold of you? Okay, so yes, um, people can um, make an appointment by uh, to come by my studio. And my studio is in Tucson. And it's at 410 uh, North Tool Avenue, which is ac actually the historic train depot building, building built in 1907, and it's just a wonderful place. Um, so people can contact me through my website. Um, they can call my, and, and my website has the business phone number on it. I don't know if I should rattle it off here, but uh, they can contact me through there. They can contact, contact me through Facebook and through Instagram. Um, to make an appointment. The studio used to be, before pandemic, it was open to the public, but since pandemic, you know, it's been closed since the middle of March, um, only by appointment. Well, thank you so much, Laura, for taking time today to share, you know, everything that you have with us. You are such a wealth 
of knowledge. And I think Ileana and I both feel really grateful to have you as a member of AZSAA and to be here in, in Arizona and a part of the sustainable fashion community. So now you heard where, where to find Laura. So go check her out, um, look at her designs. Um, and I'm certainly going to keep an eye out for uh, your courses. So thank you again. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Ms. Laura. Day.